Howdy, folks, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad. We're a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs like Dungeons & Dragons, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. We are your hosts, Woody Brown. And Tyler Bentz. Woody Brown. And Tyler Bentz. That was a hey, bro. <laughs> was that purposeful, or we just we just was that like a secondary take? Yeah, I didn't really. I kind of like Woody Brown. I, I liked it in you know. I don't know, man. I love it. I'm so excited for today. I can barely contain myself. But go ahead, man, because I want you to. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the story that we're getting to getting into today. <laughs> the story that we're getting into today is. Uh, Pretty pretty close and connected to our last week's episode, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it sort of it sort of covers a lot of a lot of ground as far as like a lot of the topics that we talk about. And one of those topics, possibly, is something that I <laughs> have ran across a while back, and I thought it was really interesting. And I just wanted to share it with you. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Actually, you may have heard about it, but maybe not. Okay. Okay, so James Cameron. He is a... Yeah, well, I have heard of James Cameron. He is a brilliant and consistent man. His movies include Aliens, The Abyss, Avatar, Terminator 1 and 2. I uh, betcha. Battle Beyond the Stars, Alita Battle Angel, Escape from New York, Galaxy of Terror, Strange Days, Solaris, and many more. Mm-hmm. All of these films, pretty much, that he's done are steeped heavily in action and sci-fi. But then we have maybe his crowning achievement. Please don't say Titanic. In an absolutely perplexing film for the sci-fi director, and that is Titanic. You guessed it. (laughs) Okay. Boy, I got to say, real quick, I got to press pause and interrupt Mm -hmm. you here because I have no idea where we're going to go with this. Well, it's exciting. It's really interesting, and it's, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that there's anything to it, but I think it's, I think it's a fascinating sort of theory, if you will. Okay. So, Jack Dawson, which is played by Leonardo DiCaprio, is, okay. uh, the theory is that he's actually a time traveler. Well, now I'm going to watch this movie. With brand new, renewed yeah, right? interest. Yeah. And what's interesting about it is like, you know, reading off all those titles uh, for Cameron's other films. I mean, they're pretty much all kind of sci-fi, you know? Yeah, and then it's yeah. like you have the, the Titanic, which is like totally left turn, which I mean, that's a possibility. But yeah. obviously in his filmography, he's obviously into sci-fi he's really yeah, for sure like yeah. into all that you know so I, I feel like too like he 
loves telling a story in like a world where there's just like open-ended mm, world-building mm-hmm. opportunity for him. Right, you know, like right. if you look at Avatar, for example, mm-hmm. like he he just make you know creating this out of thin air yeah. and inspiration, or whatever. World like Titanic is like a historical event. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. And not only is it sort of this vast, sprawling sort of you know, endless possibilities type film, there's a clear book ending of, you can only go so far, you know, because you know, we know historically that eventually the boat's going to crash. And, you know, so it's, mm. a, it's a very, just thematically, it's it's sort of bizarre for him to do it. So the theory Spo- is that like... Spoiler alert, huh? <laughs> yeah, sorry. If you haven't seen Titanic yet, it's a great film, guys. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're starting your VHS collection, <laughs> it might be the most common tape that exists. Oh, I, in fact, I have an extra one. Easily, I'll mail it to you. Yeah, yeah. So the idea is that, like, what if he made this film, and all along, in his mind, or you know, sort of like in a subtle kind of way, it was actually like sort of to to keep his interest, you know, being a, a huge sci-fi guy, was that all along it's been like based on like time travel so man so the the film takes place in 1912 it's said that he sort of comes out of nowhere he won he he didn't have a ticket and it says he won the ticket in a poker game which if mm-hmm. we're looking at so, some of his other films the terminator movies we know that whenever you time travel you're you appear in this time uh, timeline and usually you're naked so mm. that would make sense that would allow him to just pop in be like oh well I know about this poker game I'm gonna win it win the ticket boom now he's got a ride on the on the boat he carries a bag which uh, again I you know how I told you that the the film takes place in 1912 again there's like a lot of these things that are just sort of probably trivial i mean mm. you know again i'm just i'm i'm going at this as if i 100 believe that like this is the case okay, uh yeah. he carries a bag which was actually called a moose sack but that wasn't created until world war ii in 1939 by the swedish military also mm. kind of a weird a weird thing to do especially on a movie like titanic where you could pretty much bet that the like the film crew and your costume design, yeah, and like the, the consistency and yeah. like you can Continuity bet the person, yeah. yeah, you can bet that it was like down to the, you know, the the finest finest detail. So mm-hmm. it is interesting these little things that if you're looking at it as like, oh well, that's just that's just that's not true, A mistake then, or whatever. Yeah, these are things that just sort of snuck through the cracks, which are odd. He says in the movie, my dad and me used to go fishing. Ever been to Wisconsin? What? Well, they have some of the coldest winters around. I grew up there near Chippewa Falls. I remember when I was a kid, me and my father, we went ice fishing out on Lake Wissota. But Lake Wissota was a man-made lake that wasn't even created until 1915 to 1917. Hmm. Give the listeners the year of the Titanic again. Uh, 1912. Okay. Yeah. So this would have been, you know, three years years after. He talks about wanting to take her to the Santa Monica Pier, 
and to ride the roller coaster. Well, that roller coaster was called the Blue Streak. That wasn't built until 1917. And in 1912, mm. the Santa Monica Pier wasn't even a real sort of attraction yet. He Man. uses the term, can I bum a smoke, which wasn't even a thing until the 20th century. What do you mean, borrowing cigarettes or what? Well, yeah, but like he, he uses the, t to me, that one felt sort of like, well, you know. Yeah, sort it's of, almost like modernized language yeah, right, so that right, we right. can like, you know, the audience can kind of. Yeah, exactly. Do you have a right? <laughs> okay, go ahead. Canceled. <laughs> they, they tell Rose at the end of the movie that they never found Jack or any possible records of him at all. Well, that's because she let go like an, oh, after saying that she, pr <laughs> after promising. <laughs> That she wasn't. I have so many problems with that, and I think everybody does. Well, go ahead. Okay, so another interesting thing to me. This is this is one that, that's it's pretty interesting. It kind of let me fill in the blank. She's laying on a on a on a board that's big enough for two people, but makes him stay in the water. Okay, so you see classism still happening. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> so I'm glad you brought that up because that is the I would say the biggest point of contention with that movie are. People say the same thing. They say, mm -hmm. oh, it's so stupid. There was plenty of room, you know, on the yeah. door. Or the and maybe there wasn't. It's just memory, if, if memory serves. No, 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 you're right. You're yeah. right. It was, clearly. But when he's on, you know, when he's in the water, he tells her, Listen, Rose. You're going to get out of here. You're going to go on. And you're going to make lots of babies. And you're going to watch them grow. You're going to die an old, an old lady warm in her bed. Which is exactly what happens. Weird. I don't remember. Well, you know, if I was a betting man, and it sounds like Jack is, if he's playing poker, winning, you know, mm -hmm. uh, tickets, uh, maybe a, a cursed ticket at that. But if I was a betting man mm -hmm. in the early 1900s and I was looking at a woman, mm -hmm. you'd probably be, you'd have some pretty good odds of, Saying, you're going to die as an old woman in your bed. Yeah, but the fact that she actually died in her bed as an old woman raises some suspicions for me. Um, okay. So the theory goes, so whenever they first meet, uh, do you remember how they first meet? Boy. Um, no. So let me help you. She's actually about to commit suicide. And as a high society girl who was clearly, you know, in first class with that being the Titanic and its maiden voyage, this would have been a huge deal. And they actually would have, 100%, they would have stopped the boat and they would have turned it. And more than likely, that would have caused, that would have prevented them from hitting the that exact iceberg and the boat crashing. Hmm. Because the standard procedure at the time would have been, you know, there's, there's like a whole sort of protocol that they would have had to do is like turn the boat around, begin a search and rescue, da, da 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 But the idea is that, like, I guess, I, the, here's where I guess it doesn't totally, like, make sense to me. And uh, one day we'll probably have James Cameron on mm -hmm. to be able to ask mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that, like, whatever, whatever course of events that would have happened, like, there, there's some theories that, like, if they would have 
you know, where they would have been if he would have like turned, I think like in the area that was like, I don't know, close to- If he would have, you mean the ship, the ship captain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if, okay. if she okay. would have jumped off the ship, clearly they would have been alerted and then the ship would have turned. There, there's an, a theory where, and people have looked into this, where I guess the waters that they were in were actually sort of like occupied or whatever, and it could have possibly like started a war and stuff i don't i don't really know to me that it feels a little like flimsy you know um yeah well then also like jack and rose are fictional characters right made for the movie yes yeah yeah yeah, 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 okay. yeah. just making sure we're on the same page. well okay, you good. know what actually i don't know if, no, 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 i think they are i don't know if rose is is based on a loosely based on a on a character but but yes they're they're both fictional characters let's just say that but anyway some people also claim that, and I mean, I don't necessarily believe this, but I think it's awesome. And so I'm going to say it. A lot of people say that Rose is actually the great gr or grandmother of Sarah Connor. Oh, man. <laughs> Which is amazing. <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, so I, you know, chung, 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 chung. That, you know, like I'm just saying, like if Titanic, like the very last scene that you see, mm -hmm. is like, you know, the old lady, she's holding somebody's <laughs> hand, they're like, yes, wait, 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 you know, you have one last visitor, mm -hmm. and it's like a young Sarah Connor, and she just grabs her hand, the lady like smiles and dies, and then and then cut to credits, and it's like, chung, 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 chung. <laughs> or no, it's Dude, like I would have lost my. Mind, it's like you have bro. one visitor, and like the the nurse walks out and then in walks Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, yes, with like the, the flowers and then in the box of flowers. Yeah, exactly. And just like drops and he's got like the sawed off shotgun. Dude, that's so cool. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's almost like to me, like hearing all this, which no, I, I actually haven't, I've never heard of that. I mean, mm -hmm. is, is into time travel and stuff that, that I am, you, you would think that that would have popped up in my Google search somehow. Mm -hmm. But I have not heard of that, and it's yeah very interesting. I mean, one, like, I bet just because, like, look, a like a movie, there's a couple different things in my mind that could have happened here. One, there are some oversights in the writing. Mm -hmm. A movie of that size and scope and length, and they had a ton of other stuff that they were probably, I'd be interested now to look up other mistakes or uh, historical inaccuracies mm -hmm. of the Titanic movie. So that's one one option is there's just a ton of, or not a ton, but a few mistakes. Okay. Or maybe another option is he purposely did these little bitty right. sort of Easter egg clues. Right. As like a little, as like a, ooh, you know, like I'm a fan of this stuff. Yeah. I know how I would be. Mm -hmm. And here's some, here's some little like things to kind of like add. Exactly. This sort of mis mysterious um, origin of this Jack character, mm -hmm. and and thereby sort of like creating this uh, thing that people are talking about. Yeah. We're talking about it now. People have yeah. apparently talked about it before, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I think I think that th that it could be a possibility that you know maybe. So like I think you know some people say that like that hairstyle was 
not a thing back then also. Mm. But I do but think... I mean, Leonardo, hey, Leo's had that hairstyle since like 89. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, yeah, so it's yeah. like... And that's what I'm saying. I think that, and then I think like his his shoulder bag that, you know, wasn't invented until, you know, much later by the Swedish military. Like that's weird, but to me, that's stuff that, that I, I could see. The, the thing that is odd though is like, I just feel like the script would be under a lot more scrutiny uh, with him talking about like ice fi- fishing in Lake Wasoda. Um, yeah, no. Because stuff like that. You would when think you make like, mention of places that don't even exist yet. Yeah, see, that's uh, what's weird. It's like, I mean, if I were working on this film and I was like, oh man, you know, th- this is a cool line. What am I going to do? I'm immediately going to look up Lake Wasoda to make sure that we're falling into the same yeah. timeline. Yeah, like, hey, uh, Jimbo, I don't. You know, we might need to do something. Uh, you know, I just don't imagine him just being like, ah, who cares? It's got to be. It's exactly. almost like it almost has to be purposeful. Exactly. 100%. You know, nothing else really kind of makes sense. And if it is purposeful, then I love it because then mm-hmm. it really is like his own little like, hey, man, this is just our little secret here. Wouldn't it be funny if yeah. this whole time this is like they're somehow related to the Terminator? Yes, 100%. So all that being said, today we are discussing a topic that possibly could involve some time travel. Which possibly you know, could involve some some sort of ghost in the machine, if you will, similar mm-hmm. to last week's episode. And when we get back, we're getting into the Doddleston messages. Yes. After these messages, we'll be right back. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. Hey, this is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. Mm-hmm. 
In the fall of 1984, in the village of Doddleston in Cheshire, in the northwest of England, a man named Ken Webster was renovating a dilapidated cottage that he had recently moved in. Webster was an economics teacher at a local school, and he lived with his girlfriend, Debbie, and another friend, Nicola Agule, their long-term guest. Not long after they moved in, weird things began to happen. They would wake up one morning to a set of six-toed footsteps that would appear to walk up the walls. Now, they did have a cat, but I don't know if that quite explains six-toed human-looking footprints. Ken, Debbie, and their guest, Nicola, all agreed that it was some sort of joke, and they all suspected each other of pulling the prank. Ken would paint over the footprints that night, but the following day, they would wake up again uh, to the same prints, and, you know, it would look like they walked up the walls onto the ceiling. Real quick question. Uh Uh-huh. Sorry to break in here. No, 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 get in there. Are these footprints, like, paint footprints? No. Why is this guy painting over footprints? From what I gather, the, the the oh, I'm an idiot. You said on the walls, okay? Yeah, yeah. And they're renovating the house. It's like a dilapidated. It's like okay. They're, I got they're you. cleaning it. I'm sure it's like dusty, dirty. I'm like, man, that's taking that's taking the uh, the cleaning level to another. Like, oh, 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 everybody, hold on, take your shoes off. I got to paint the floor. Yeah, again. right, right. Okay, go ahead. Um, so over the next days and weeks, the occupants of the Cheshire Cottage would experience these sort of bizarre like chalk marks, like markings appearing. They would experience these sudden cold spots in areas, a breeze that would blow newspapers off a desk. Mm. Um, and there was like sort of a an increasingly uh, strong feeling of someone like being there and like watching them. And then later on, it would go on to also... Uh, they would all start hearing noises that would sound like footsteps in other rooms. They would also find their tins of cat food. There was a cat, like I said. And they would be uh, sort of piled up in a pyramid, uh, you know, when they would wake up or in the middle of the night and, and stuff like that. And then they would also go on to continue to see these strange uh, six-toed footprints. Now, this is interesting because just on its face, like the six-toed, like there's a, for the Cree tribe, there's a race that they believe, which is called the, the Managishi, and they are sort of a race of trickster people that, that they claimed that also sort of inhabited their mm-hmm. lands. And they had six toes and six hands there's the infield monster, which is another case that we're going to cover, which is, is pretty fascinating. It was also kind of known to have uh, six-toed footprints. And then the orang mawas, it's like a sort of Malaysian, black-furred, 10-foot-tall, sort of a, like a Bigfoot, Sasquatch-type thing, mm. who would also have six toes. So that's it's sort of a common thing. And then I think there's like other indigenous tribes that also talk about Some of them talk about, like, giants that would have, like, six fingers. I think there's one kind of close to us. Uh, Like, some, like, rock that you can find where it looks, it's like a a literal handprint, but it has, like, six fingers. But, yeah, this is something that, like, is kind of common 
as far as like sort of weird, you know, paranormal type stuff goes. So, so let me just make sure I got, we're all on the same page here and then I'm tracking. Mm-hmm. So, you, okay, first you've got these strange six-toed footprints that aren't just on the floor, I guess, but also on the walls. Yeah, they, they would start across the floor, walking across the floor, and then they would walk up the walls mm-hmm. and then... They all thought it was a joke, sure. you know, when they saw it and that then, morning. Okay, and then he, he paints, paints over them, and then they return. Then the next next day, it goes across the floor, up the wall, and then onto the ceiling. Jeez, and then there's these, like, towers of cat food. Right. Okay. And I think towers of, like, other stuff, too, that, like, they would, whatever is happening, it was, like, piling certain things up in, like, a pyramid-type shape, mm. hmm. which is interesting. Like like boxes or whatever they yeah. had around the house, and all of these things kind of happen when they, you know, maybe they wake up in the morning or they would be out and then come back in and then they would find this stuff. So it was always kind of happening when they were not around. Okay, like like they did notice, like obviously, like the cold spots. They would see like gust of wind blow through randomly you know, blow stuff off the table. But then, like, as it went along, they would start hearing, like, footprints and that kind of thing. But, that you know, obviously, they never they never saw, like, the origin of the footprints or or any of that kind of thing. Right. So at the time, like, let's, let's look back. It is 1984. So, you know, there's, I feel like we're a little limited at the time of, like, what they would have immediately went to as far as, like, what's going on. Mm. Like, I feel like, Obviously, oh, it's got to be like a poltergeist, you know, because that was a that was kind of a popular thing, probably around that time. And I mean, it does kind of uh, reek of poltergeist type activity. Here's where it gets a little weird. Okay. So, at the time, Ken, you know, he was an economics teacher at the Howarden School. He borrowed what was called a BBC computer from from the school. The, I guess at the time, Margaret Thatcher uh, sort of had this initiative in England where, you know, this is at the very, very early, early days of computers. Mm. Um, and this is like the first sort of, I guess, portable computer, mm-hmm. you know? I got a little information uh, about the BBC computer if you want me to dive in real yeah, quick. Yeah, get in there, okay. man. Not, not mm-hmm. to get super dorky, mm-hmm. but basically the type of computer that uh, Tyler's talking about is called a BBC Micro and BBC mm-hmm. standing for British Broadcasting Corporation which still exists today and it was a series of these microcomputers that um, were designed and built by Acorn Computers in the 80s for like a uh, like you said an initiative for like a computer literacy project and here's what's interesting right. too I totally used one of these things man I looked up some pictures of this thing because I was curious mm-hmm. like what do these things look like? And I wanted to, you know, get some pictures for our show notes and that kind of thing. And I totally used one of these things in, uh, I swear, uh, one of the teachers had one in Indonesia. And oh, that's awesome. essentially, you know, very, very early on, if you are, you know, a fair amount younger than us, it, it, it's like the, the precursor to what even the most... Um, I don't know, like you mean like per like PC, like yeah. Like earliest. if someone, if you're thinking of an old computer here in the states, you probably think of like an Apple IIe or mm-hmm. you know something like that. This is or even like a 286, yeah. Like later in much later in these schools and stuff. These were the computers that they they used. And then just kind of as a little quick reminder, uh, I think you mentioned it 
earlier on, but you know, the the main guy, Ken, he was a teacher. So yep. that would have been, I guess, part of the reasoning why he had uh, one of these computers yes. at his at his home. Yeah, the, uh, apparently at the time, like I said, it was like an initiative to kind of push these, push like learning on computers. I guess they had the foresight to see that like, oh, well, this is, this is kind of where things are going. So let's, let's like sort of involve our teachers, let them take these things home and like sort of get a feel for them. At the time also though, you know, 1984 is pretty early in the realm of computers. So it's basically a word processor. That's, yeah. you're not going to have games. You're not going to have photos. Mm-hmm. In fact, this particular system I looked up, if you, whatever you wrote or whatever you did on, on the computer, unless you saved it specifically onto a, like a giant floppy disk, like back in the old days, when you turned it back on, it, it was completely gone. It didn't have memory in that in the way that we yeah we think of now, yeah. you know. Uh, and I think that's kind of an important, sort of maybe an important part of the story. So he borrowed it and he loaned it to his guest, Nicola Bagley, who I guess wanted to be in show business and she wanted to write comedy sketches. I've also heard that maybe she's from like another country and she was looking for a more like permanent kind of job, I guess for like sort of like a visa type situation. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so they left the, compu- the computers turned on uh, it, and it was in the kitchen on the, this very this first time. I think they they all three walked to the pub because it was a pub in like a nearby village. And then they came back. And when they came back, they would all look at the computer because there it was in the kitchen and they found that there were there was a mysterious message waiting for them on the screen and it's kind of ominous it's really bizarre it goes a little something like this true are the nightmares of a person that fears safe are the bodies of the silent world Turn, pretty flower, turn towards the sun, for you shall grow and sow. But the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks. Pussycat, pussycat, went to London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost, for this shall be your redeemer. And then it was signed at the bottom, LW. Hmm. Uh, pretty weird. At first, Ken Webster thought that it was there was some sort of computer prankster. Right which obviously he would look at, you know, his two other roommates that were living in the house. That's exactly what I would think, right? Right, exactly. Um, This actually reminds uh me real quick, sorry to interrupt, but in college (laughs) we had this, like, roommate. So I lived in this, like, cabin with Mm -hmm. uh, three other roommates, so four of us total. And (laughs) we had this one roommate that we, like, three of us hated the other guy. I mean, just, like, could not stand him. And so we would do like these random pranks to him. And what we found out, we found out how to like, I think what it, what we did was we would unplug the keyboard on his, like at the back of his mm, PC mm-hmm. and then plug in one of ours and just be like somewhere else in the house or like kind of yeah. close by just pretending to study. And then we would type all kinds of crazy, like he'd be like, man, this thing's not working. And then like, oh, that's awesome. Be like, well, what are you trying to say? He's like, well, I just typed in the sentence, see? And then, like, one, somehow we would, like, play it where this guy just thought the computer was possessed. But this was, like, <laughs> you know, 2002. So, yeah. um, you know, go ahead, sorry. That's awesome. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, and, I mean, that's sort of a classic, like, 
you know, anytime somebody would like leave the room or whatever, you would, you know, change the background to something crazy. I remember that was like something we would do to all the teachers at, in the early days of computer. Let's also say there is absolutely zero internet. There's no sort of remote sort of capabilities on this computer. It is, uh, you know, it's what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. It's that's pretty much it. It's pretty much like a digital typewriter. Yeah. So again, you know, they thought they just all sort of looked at each other, kind of like with the footprints. A few days later, though, another message would come through, but this one was written in what appeared to be early modern English. Uh, And it's, bear with me, because it's a little, the writing is a little weird. It says, I write, W-R-Y-T-E, on behalf of many, what strange words thou speak, although I must confess that I hath also been ill-schooled. Sometimes methinks alterations are somewhat barful, for they break main asleep in mine bed, so they wake me up. Thou art goodly man who hath fanciful woman who dwell in mine home. I hath no want to affray, for only scythe mine half-witted antic has ripped the twain, mind bound hath I been wretched a night. Jeez, uh, I hath many alterations. Lastly, charge house and now home. Tis a fitting place with lights which the devil maketh mm. and costly things that only mine friend Edmund Gray can afford or the king himself. Twas a great crime to hath bribed mine house, L.W. Mm. And then also it would refer to uh, this phrase that uh, it's pronounced Leems Boist, L-E-E-M-S-B-O-Y-S-T-E, which if you look at the the old modern English, it translates to box of lights, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting. Is very uh, interesting. Through questions and answers, the trio would learn that L.W. stood for Lucas Wayman. Lucas told them he lived in the house, or he lived in a house on the site of the Meadow Cottage between 1543 and 1547. So the 16th century during the reign of King Henry VIII. He said he was a farmer and kept livestock around the house. He disclosed that he was married, but his wife and son were killed in the plague of 1517. Mm. The messages would tell them that he had been a student at Brasnose College at Oxford University and had met the famous Dutch philosopher Erasmus three times. Is he saying he met the philosopher three times or... His name is Erasmus three times. I hope I, don't I hope it's three to, I hope his last name is three times. <laughs> uh, as the messages would continue on, it became clear that they could see and hear some of what was going on in the cottage. So for example, so you're saying you're saying LW could see what was Lucas. Lucas. Okay, Lucas could see what kind of was going on in the cottage in in the mm-hmm. present time yes. being 1984 or whatever. Yes, right, exactly. And it says that he even would comment on photos that Webster would have around the house. One in particular, he had like a Jaguar, like a car. And Lucas would remark, I found your picture of the cart, but it is a crude thing for without a horse, it won't go far. To me, as soon as I read that, I was sort of like, whoa. Yeah, no, like if I was, this kind of, this is reminiscent of the Watcher house. Episode exactly. That we did. To hear more about this topic, be sure to listen to That Would Be Rad, Season 2, Episode 31, The Watcher House. And, but as we go along, you're also going to 
have some ties in this weird sort of abstract way to possibly even like the Andrew W.K. stuff. To hear more about this topic, be sure to listen to That Would Be Rad, Season 2, Episode 4, The Andrew W.K. Conspiracy. Just in mm. the, the wording, like, I feel like you'll pick up on what I'm talking about. So Debbie, Ken Webster's girlfriend, she claimed that she was like having dreams of this Lucas character. After hearing tapping sounds, her hair was being pulled, um, she was feeling like this like physical pressure, and she really continued having these feelings of, of like being watched mm-hmm. when she was alone. When I guess in a dreamlike state, Debbie said that she could almost be with Lucas in the past. Oh boy. Including a time, I guess, in a dream where they had made candles together. Is that like a euphemism or? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Could be. The messages would keep coming up on the computer for 18 months in 1985 and 1986. Uh, so Lucas, again, the character in the computer, could also pass messages to Ken Webster by writing on scraps of paper that appeared in the cottage. So he would leave out these pieces of paper with, you know, pens or or pencils or whatever, and he was able to communicate that way as well, which kind of lends itself back to the, the poltergeist thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, or some sort of trickster type thing. I'm, I don't want to give it all away, but you'll see what okay. I mean. These writings were happening sort of in real time. They weren't pieces of paper that they had found or anything. It was somehow that Lucas used some sort of psychic ability to make impressions on the paper for Webster to see. Wait a second here, man. I just want to make sure I am on the same page. And mm-hmm. by the way, there are certain aspects of this that I looked up, but for the most part, I am letting Tyler tell me this story just like he's telling you right now, listener. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that anytime they had these messages, mm-hmm. someone would see him on the screen mm-hmm. and then... Also, they did not have a printer. Is that no, no, no? That no. Okay, so then there, there wouldn't have even with that kind of computer. There what there wouldn't have even remotely been a yeah, even like a an input for that. Man, this and also again, by the time it was like eighty eight, maybe. Do you remember those like long the oh yeah, and super like, loud, yeah. Yeah. and you had to like rip off the the. The things on the mm-hmm. sides. Oh, mm-hmm. man, kids. And they would get jammed oh, like, yeah, dude, constantly. constantly. And then, like, sometimes your teacher would be like, hey, can you go get that from the parent? You'd kind of mess it up. And then the next thing they printed would be all kinds of, like, wrinkled <laughs> and screwed up. Yeah. And then, like, printer paper back then came in these rolls. Right. And they were reams. super ex- – Yeah, reams. And they were super expensive. Anyway. Yeah. So, basically, you're saying that there would be, like, paper nearby and then it would be – this message would be on it but not ink. It's like something else. I see. I'm not really sure about that. Like, th- so this is, uh, this is f- uh, sort of an aspect, um, not to like bury the lead, but so Ken Webster later would go on to write a book, which they, I guess they just came out with a second printing. The first printing was going for like $2,000 and the book was called the vertical plane. And there's, there's little things about the story that, like, if you if you really dive in or or dig into the story, it, it it's kind of it's sort of known to be based on like these messages on the computer. But I I just I kind of wanted to add that 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 he was also able to communicate 
in sort of an analog form, mm. you know, aside from the computer. Okay. You know, and I think that's kind of an important aspect, and you, you'll see, you'll see as we go. Oh, and also, we will return after these messages. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. Again, just like with everything else, all these things were happening when they would wake up. It would be like in the, in the middle of the night, or they would all be out at the pub or you know, there wasn't a ton of things to do, I would imagine. You know, it's a very, very small town in England out in the middle of, you know, super rural drinking game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they would go out and they would come back and that's where, that's when they would see these, find these messages. So a man by the name of Peter Trender, who was another teacher and friend of Ken Webster, he would go on to look at the messages and declare that they were in fact, early modern English of the mm. Tudor period, mm-hmm. and that they were completely authentic dialects and old-fashioned usages that a modern person clearly would mm-hmm. not know. And he was a like a literary mm. teacher, you know, at the school, a you know, fellow teacher at the school, Man. the Howarden School. So the story gets even more dramatic as it continues on. This Lucas Wayneman character would stop writing and an unnamed friend of his would pick up the story, sending Webster messages. It turned out that Lucas was arrested by the local sheriff, Sir Thomas Falhurst, because he was discovered to be communicating through this light box. Mm-hmm. The charge was witchcraft. Mm. Which, I mean, dude, if you, if you think about it, 1500s, you, oh. you find this kid, uh, Lucas, you mm-hmm. find Corey Haim, right, right. you know, talking to a light box. Yeah. And you're like, boy, this guy is a demon, or he's talking to demons, arrested. (laughs) Get him at it, burn him. Illegal! So Ken Webster would learn that Lucas was later released, but placed under some sort of like house arrest, I guess, from what they could gather. Despite the charge of witchcraft hanging over his head, Lucas would continue to write Ken Webster for many months. Uh, Lucas would tell Ken he was terrified of what the authorities might do to him, but still continued to use the light box and to write on pieces of modern paper, like I said, these impressions, and he would send Webster drawings of things around the house, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, like, man, I don't know why I'm having this, like, it's not really deja vu. I know we haven't talked about this on the episode. I know communicating we've talked about with Lucas. No, but I swear this seems familiar, uh, like at least the aspect of, like someone receiving messages like in a journal or something that mm. they're communicating sort of back and forth with someone from another well, time? I, I don't think that, oh, you know what? Um, well, 
I was going to say. It's kind of like the movie Frequency, but that's with radio. Well, not even that. This kind of feels like uh, Clay's daughter hearing like the. Oh, the scribbling and stuff. The, the scribbling and writing. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's the same thing. Mm. Hear this scary, true listener story on That Would Be Rad. Season 2, Episode 41. I survived Camp Red Strangeness 2022. Okay, so it would turn out that Lucas hadn't been entirely honest to Webster when he told him his name. Uh, although he said he was called Lucas Wayneman at first and signed the message as LW, he would later reveal that he was actually called Thomas Howarden. Hmm. Lucas, or Thomas, also wrote that he didn't understand why Webster said he lived in 1985. This is where it gets amazing. And this sounds the like I wish you could see this old modern English because it is so bizarre. Well, it reminds me of I took a class, an AP Brit lit class in high school, mm-hmm. and we we studied Canterbury Tales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember I went to the store to pick up a copy of this book so that I could read it at home, and I didn't know at the time until I got home. But it was written in old English, and I'm like, good. God yeah, it's mighty. weird. It's almost impossible to understand. It's very and difficult. it's so strange. Yeah, like you is spelled y a y o w. Your is spelled y o w r. Like it's yeah, it's really odd. So and so wait, so, oh, like, oh, sorry, sorry. Also, you didn't say yeah, but you didn't say this yet, and it seems like it. Like Ken Kenneth is is now they're, they're communicating back to this person right back and forth now they're having sort yes. of like a dialogue yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay yeah that's a good point yeah yeah so he it was sort of a like a dialogue like back and forth or the other housemates kenneth's girlfriend deb or debbie and the other their guests nicola bagule or whatever i think they were all sort of going back and forth with this thing and then you know they would they would put a message leave it on the screen and then you know go into town or go to the pub you know, or go to sleep for the night and then wake up or come back and there would be like a response, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So like I said, this Lucas or Thomas character would write that he didn't understand why Webster said that he lived in 1985. This is where, to me, this gets real interesting. Mm. You said your time be 1985. Me thought you were also from 2109, like your friend whom didst bring... Leams Boist Prey, which I'm guessing the Leams Boist is the box of lights. Mm. Then Lucas suddenly announced that the light box was brought to his house by someone called One, who hailed from the year 2109, which is really bizarre. So at this, Ken Webster was, was baffled. He wrote back asking who was this person that Lucas knew from 2109. Still curious, Webster decided that he was going to use the basically the the computer to send a message to the year 2109 call or entitled calling 2109 2109 would write back this is where it gets really bizarre and a little into some some time stuff okay the messages from 2109 are pretty hard to follow they talk in sort of general new age terms about you know higher purpose and uh, like destiny and that kind of thing. One of the examples of the 2109's message would, would go, the eyes are open, yet nothing do you see. The gray retarding mass is your convict. Quietly alone, he sits in the dark, waiting for sentence to be passed, 
and demanding through the eyes of the blind of unspoken questions to answers of ethereal kind. The soul he is the traveler, chain nor bar can hold him to frail flesh. Here is the ruler of time and space, here is your God. Hmm. Really bizarre, really sort of cryptic. Another message would say, try to understand that you three have a purpose. What shall in your lifetime change the face of history? We, 2109, must not affect your thoughts directly, but give you some sort of guidance that will allow room for your own destiny. All we can say is that we are all part of the same God, whatever he is, question mark, is. So basically now you have three sort of characters on this quest. You have Lucas or Thomas from 1543. Okay. You have Ken Webster and his roommates from 1985. And then you have this we character from 2109. Um, So we remember that like his friend, Ken Webster's friend, Peter Trender, uh, he was the fellow school teacher who analyzed the old English and declared that it was genuine. But mm-hmm. when Trinder attempted to test the messages from 2109, 2109 told him he was endangering the mission they were on, mm. which is weird, you know? That kind of sounds like it's the, all this is like a mix between John Teeter and right. Paul Amadeus Dynek a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. To hear more about these topics, be sure to listen to That Would Be Rad. Season 1, Episode 29, The John Teeter, Time Traveler Episode. And Season 2, Episode 25, Paul Amadeus Enoch, Chronicles of the Future. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Lucas, like we said before, he had been arrested for witchcraft. Hmm. I guess it says here that, like, Ken Webster and friends were now sort of, they sort of had this, this, um, urgency or that they felt that they had this task to like save him i guess from being burned alive mm-hmm. i'm not real sure what that means uh, well, uh yeah yeah i know a little bit about that so some of the things that i kind of read like apparently you know he's he's now imprisoned for witchcraft mm. and the sentence is death by being right. burned alive which right you know it, it's interesting because i feel like in that time period i mean for several hundreds of years like Anything that was unexplainable, mm-hmm. witchcraft, death, you know. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Death. So it's yeah. like he, or I guess Lucas's friend, is basically has sort of let, the, has, yeah, has let Ken and them know, hey, he's going to die or whatever. And so mm-hmm. then at this point, I think they, from what I read, and I don't know because I, I kind of, it gets a little muddy in, in terms of the details, but it kind of seems like then they like lie to like the yeah. sheriff yeah so so at this time i guess they they like i said they they had this task of like you know saving this guy so they really pushed into high gear of like looking through history books and like old 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 like records you know to hopefully sort of find things that lucas could possibly like say to explain himself i guess to like get off of of the charge. Lucas told the sheriff that Webster told him to say what he told him to say, but the sheriff was unmoved. He still wanted to try Lucas. This is gets weird too. The sheriff, Sir Thomas Fowlshurst, which again, like we said, 
when he was looked up, he was a real guy, mm -hmm. then started using the light box himself to, to also communicate with Ken Webster. And he reveals that the year where he is is actually 1546. Weird. Messages continued from Lucas, who reveals his, his real name isn't Lucas, like I said, but Thomas Howarden or Harden, which is interesting because I don't know why, the, like I haven't found any of this online, but it is interesting seeing that I guess he said his last name was, I don't know, maybe it was like a, a sort of a communication breakdown, but he said Thomas Howarden or Harden. It kind of goes back and forth. But what I thought was interesting about this is Ken Webster and Peter Trinder worked at the Howarden School. Mm. So that's pretty interesting. Who, like we said before, was expelled from Brace Nose College in 1538 for refusing to denounce the Pope. Again, they looked that up. That's a, that's a true thing. After many months of not being executed and continuing to send Webster and his roommates messages, uh, Lucas, or Thomas, told to leave the house, and he told them he's going to Bristol to buy a horse to ride to Oxford to see if he can get back into the college that he was expelled from. I don't totally understand that. Like, I wonder if, because he was tried and, like, the witchcraft thing, if that's why he was expelled from the Brassnose College. Mm. I'm not sure. It's it's a little murky. It says, why anyone would go from Doddleston to Oxford via Bristol is beyond me. Doddleston to Oxford is 174 miles. Doddleston to Bristol is 169 miles. And then a further 74 miles on horseback from Bristol to Oxford. So that doesn't really make sense, you know, to go yeah. 174 miles to buy a horse uh, when your journey is only... 169 miles. Yeah. So then the Thomas Harden character says goodbye, saying he would write a book about his experiences, which he hoped Ken Webster one day would find and read in 1985. Mm -hmm. So then 2109 would say at some point that the book would be found. Nick Points, an academic that has uh, studied this, he said if a great book does exist and is ever found, it would be hard to argue against and would sort of prove all this as yeah. truth. But as far as I know, no one has ever found such a book. Ken Webster did research and found that Thomas Howarden was made the vicar of Barrington Parva Parish in Gloucestershire in 1551 and stayed there until 1554. However, Thomas Howarden would not be a particularly unique name. So... You know, it's kind of like take take John it. Smith or something. Yeah, right, yeah. right. But there were some other weird messages from this 2109 character that would continue on even though the, I guess, the messages from Thomas would end. As this continued on, more questions would come up. Webster would finally, Webster and his roommates would finally invite a group called, and we've talked about this group before, the Society for Psychical Research mm -hmm. to the cottage to look into what was going on. Now, the Society for Psychical Research, they've been around forever. This is long before, you know, in 1984, 1985, this is long before ghost hunting groups and, and that kind of thing. Like we think of like with ghost hunters and you think of all these sort of ghosts, like paranormal investigators and stuff. That wasn't really a thing. This, this uh, Society for Psychical Research was, you know, it was around way back you know, with like the spiritualist movement and stuff. And they were into, you know, kind of not necessarily like debunking, but like they would look into like mediumship and seances and 
any sort of weird things they would, you know, they were one of the first groups to kind of to kind of do that, which is pretty cool that they sort of play a role into this. The SPR's research liaison officer, John Stiles, sent down John Bucknell, who came with a colleague named Dave Welch, and later with Nick Sowerby Johnson. They didn't believe the story uh, from the beginning, and he says they didn't really care as much about Lucas as much as they did about this 2109 character. They came three separate times, but each time they left with no answers, and they didn't really see anything happen while they were th- while they were there, which I don't necessarily see as like a dissuading thing. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like so. Like in other like, words, like are we li- are we supposed to believe that even to this day in that specific cottage, we'd still be able to just like communicate with someone or something from two different timelines? I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I will say that, like... It's not 24-7. It yeah, right, right. You know? Well, not only that, but it's, like, apparent, like, you know, it's clear by what has been said, and even, like, the communication on, like, actual analog, you know, paper and pencil, it's clear that, like, this thing is, or, or whatever it is, is able to see things in the cottage. It's not mm. just, like, in the computer, you know? So, you know, why wouldn't they just stop writing you know, when these strangers came into the house that, you know, they're doing tests and all this kind of thing. Or I I think of it like this too, like I'm thinking about my own computer, you know, like whenever Mm -hmm. I log off for the day and I go downstairs and all that, I'm not in front of my computer, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's going to be a time of the day that if I was in in the 1500s or whatever, I might not be able to be at the light box. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and and honestly, I, I, it's still very very vague, like the like means of communication, like, mm. you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, and also like, what what did the paranormal society or whatever? What did they use in eighty five to right, test? Right. I mean, honestly, yeah. I kind of feel like, I mean, all you really could do at the time is like just go, sort of sit around and observe. Yeah, go to the piano and be like, ding 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 ding. They hate this. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, right. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it I think at that point it kind of it kind of stopped a little bit. Apparently there are anomalies in these messages. So originally Lucas or Thomas, as we know him now, originally he said his wife and child were killed in the plague of 1517. It never really says where. I guess he would at least be 20 years old, uh, if not a little bit older at the time. Say he was born in like 1495. It says that he was the Dean of Brassnose in 1538, which would, I guess at that time, he would be around 43 years old. But then it says he's a farmer in Doddleston between 1543 and 1547. So he would be around 52 when he's he leaves Doddleston. He is perhaps, like I said before, the same Thomas Howardon that becomes the vicar or the vicar of Barrington Parva in Gloucestershire in 1551. He would be 56 and leaves there in 1554, aged 59 or so. These dates all do actually kind of make sense. Like they all sound pretty plausible. Mm-hmm. But being at him saying that he was like at the university when he would have been 43 was a little weird. But I guess like this in in real in the real world, this Thomas Howarden was actually the dean of the university. So that would kind of make sense that he would be the dean of the university at age 43. 
So Hardin Howarden says that he got his degree at Jesus College in Oxford, which actually didn't exist at the time. Hardin thinks that anyone from the future would know that Jesus College didn't exist then. So what's interesting is this Thomas character or Lucas or whoever he is, is actually kind of testing is sort of testing these other like the like testing the people in the present. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is which is kind of an interesting sort of piece of the story. Like to have um, them sort of be like, hey, that isn't that's not a real place. Yeah, right, right. If they were truly from the future, then they would clearly know that. Jesus College was founded by a group of Welshmen in 1571. Therefore, when Lucas or Thomas was writing in 1546, it hadn't even been built yet. I don't know, that's that's a little weird. In an early message, Thomas would say that he was ill-schooled, but typically you wouldn't really, that wouldn't be a phrase you would use for somebody who went to Oxford University. Even someone who was dramatically kicked out, it's, you, st- you know, ill-schooled is, was another way of saying, like, not very educated. But yeah. then, you know, as it would go on, this is sort of a point of contention because, you know, it said that he was sort of ill-schooled and later would be the dean of Brasnose College. So he was actually pretty yeah. well-schooled, actually. Yeah. Or the um, standards were lower back then. But Yeah, right. <laughs> so, but, and so in saying all that, I think that, like, I think that, that you can look a little too much into that because you cl- we clearly know that, like, okay, r- for the longest time, he claimed that he was Lucas Wayneman. And he said all this stuff. I'm ill-schooled. I'm this, I'm that. My wife and child died in the plague, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, we obviously know that that he made that up and he's actually this Thomas Howard. And so for all we know, all that other stuff in the earlier messages was kind of BS, you know? Yeah. Huh. I don't know. It's pretty interesting. It's, man, it's so weird. It would go on. They... We're still getting messages sort of here and there, but Webster would say in his book, The Vertical Plane, that um, he ended up getting a new job while he was still at Doddleston, and the new job was much more demanding. So he just kind of lost interest, you know, in his his search for the truth. He actually says, I became bored. I wanted to go home to read about something else. And, you know, that makes sense, especially if a lot of, the, you know, it's just this sort of like cryptic stuff in a way. Because at the same time, when Webster would get a new job, and again, this is from his book, Thomas would say that he was being forced to leave his land. He was never seen or heard from again, but he promised to leave something for his friends. You know, so it, it's kind of that. I mean, it's it's uh, that's sort of where the thing ends. I mean, I think there were several other messages from, from the 2109 period. Mm. And I think you have some of those. I mean, there's like a ton, dude. It's like 10 pages of yeah, communication. But, and there, but there, and there's so many of those that are like, you know, they're, they're just like really sort of cryptic and well, like, and I'll just give you an example. It's like, we are sorry that we can give you only two choices. One, that you either have your predicament explained in such a non-rhyme way that you may have an instant understanding but cause what should not be to happen or two try to understand that you three have a purpose that shall in your lifetime change the face of history we 2109 must not affect your thoughts directly blah 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 blah, blah, right more answers than you have questions but what are the right questions a man cannot ask questions if he is unlikely to understand the answers Yes, you are correct to say that one will not learn without questions, but there is a time to understand and a time to walk blindly. A man with Mm. hunger 
will eat bad fruit and surely die. Was it the fruit that killed this man? Or was it the knowledge that the fruit was there for the taking? Do not waste further time by asking if the tree that bears this bad fruit is in front of you. It is better to have no knowledge at all than to have a distorted view of the truth because of your lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. We, 2109, are not without compassion, but if you continue to disrupt our experiments, then it is likely you will find your destiny. We shall, however, allow one more communication with you so that you may ask your profound questions. We shall answer as you wish. If in terms of physics, then it shall be so, but remember that our limits are set by your own abilities and not ours. Mm. There is no one after the man you call Lucas. The chance factor will not reoccur again in a time span your kind can relate to. I mean... Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Just a bunch of weird stuff like that. Of course, that wasn't the last communication. As I said, I've got 10 pages of it. But yeah, right. I think what we'll do with that is I can get all of those communications, make it into a PDF, and we'll upload it to the Patreon. Ooh, yeah, that's a good idea. One, one thing that I found that was pretty interesting about this is in one of the, the messages from the 2109, they're talking about like tachyons. Mm-hmm. And while this sort of theory of, you know, using these, I guess, tachyons as like for, for time travel, that was something that wasn't widely known at all. In fact, mm-hmm. CERN uh, wouldn't even uh, mention the use of tachyons until I think like the 2000s. Mm. But there is one other person who publicly has talked about these tachyons being involved with time travel. Can you guess who that is? The president of the Smithsonian. <laughs> no, him okay. too. But John Teeter. Ah, that's right. Which is pretty fascinating. Mm. And this was, again, this was years after all of this was happening, you know, mm-hmm. in 1984, 85. Okay, it's real kind quick. Of, we, okay. You didn't mention him. I was waiting for one of the people that came, that has come or did get there to investigate is a guy named Gary Rowe. Oh, right. Who Who is a pretty, I mean, I don't know about well-known, but he's known to be a sort of like a paranormal and UFO investigator and, um, and a researcher. And he kind of went out there to, you know, kind of learn about this and stuff. And, you know, one of the things that you tasked me with is kind of finding any kind of more modern sort of right. updates. Before I mm-hmm. get into Gary Rowe, I think it's important for the listener to note too, part of the reason why it's taken us this, this is, again, one of the topics that we've been talking about covering for, well, since we started the podcast, yeah. Right. You know, there's a handful of them that sort of kicked off like, hey, we need to do a podcast because I want to learn more about this stuff. Yeah. This is one of them. And part of the reason why it's taken us this long is because, well, at the time uh, when we first started the show, basically the book, the vertical, vertical? Yeah, the vertical plane. Yeah, the vertical plane, you could only find it, it was out of print. And mm-hmm. if you did find it, for example, I think somebody was selling a copy on Amazon for $500. eBay, I Oh, think, I saw 2000 Yeah, eBay, I think maybe it was in like the 2000s. So in other words, we were talking about this like, oh yeah, there's, you know, this book, Vertical Plane, we started looking for it and it was like, mm-mm. <laughs> yeah. And, I well, and it sucks because like, you know, there have been like, I feel like I heard about it on a podcast. I mean, this would have been years and years ago. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, since I think Mysterious Universe, which is a fantastic podcast, 
and as usual, two guys from Australia, and they do amazing work. Like, mm-hmm. like it's the majority of their topics are derived from these sort of ob- obscure books and stuff like that. So I think they had an episode and a lot of the information was, you know, pretty much directly from that book. Mm-hmm. And so, but, you know, like I said, uh, those, and, and they're really into having a bunch of obscure and hard to find rare books like this. Mm-hmm. So to spend, you know, a couple hundred bucks or a thousand bucks on a book. For they actually, like, I think, whenever I looked into it, they actually were gifted uh, oh, that's this right. book that's right. from like either a listener or a friend or something. But that's the good right. news yeah. for all of us is it's actually been reprinted. And I think part of the reason for that is some potential reinterest in this thing. Well, you know, you mentioned um, Nick Poinitz. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. He yeah. had that quote that said like, you know, pretty massive if they did find Yeah, that book, book. right? Well, yeah. he also between like 2011 and 2016 started this blog, Ghost in the Machine. And on the blog, man, you were capable of writing comments or whatever. Mm-hmm. 2017 or as uh, recent as 2017, I'll say, but also in like 2016. Gary Rowe, the guy who was the UFO investigator, paranormal researcher, mm-hmm. uh, who kind of studied this, made a comment. The first one I think is 11 June 2016. And he said, Many people are highly skeptical about the events related in the vertical plane book. Quite rightly so, given the degree of strangeness. But I am not. I had the opportunity to investigate these happenings firsthand. No, <laughs> it says, no, I am not some away with the fairy's wishful believer. <laughs> I investigated with professional detachment, not bothered what I would find, fake or fact. I left no stone unturned and used cutting edge science to get to the truth. In fact, I believe it was the first computer controlled psychic investigation recorded in the world. Wow. I don't care two hoots. I love that phrase. I don't care two hoots if nobody ever believes it. I know it really happened. It changed my life forever. It is going to change yours. The book should slash will one day be ISBN recorded under the history section. It is a monumental historical marker in the ribbon of time. Now, people have people in this on this blog, like interact with him and stuff. And he'll, you know, answer questions and all this kind of stuff. Like, Hey, thanks for your inquiry. I would only ever be able to tell more if 2109 said that I should, I can of course talk as much as I wish regarding the general events, the equipment I used and my involvement. There is much you could glean from studying the book at length. There are a lot of clues, sadly, in between the lines best wishes. So he's specifically talking about Ken's book, Vertical mm-hmm. Plane. There's some mention that I found on one of these sort of like forums and everything where people are talking about this. And specifically, he would say things like, for example, basically his advice was, uh, firstly, my advice is to try much harder to obtain a copy of the book. So he's talking about trying to get a physical copy of the book. As I mentioned earlier, it's like hard to do. Yeah. And listen to this quote, man. It says, To understand this, you must read chapter 25. Oh, yeah, this is interesting. Tonight's program has been brought to you by...
Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. Now, apparently, the original in the original publishing of this book, Chapter 25 was incorrectly uh, titled as a second sort of Chapter 7. So imagine you're like on Chapter 24, you flip the page, and it says Chapter 7 again, but it's a different, right? you know, thing. Well... Now, apparently, I think it's probably fixed, uh, according to some folks online. But chapter 25 is interesting because it, it describes two distinct events. The first is some poltergeist activity where a metal pipe flew across the kitchen, hitting Deb and leave a bru- left a bruise on her and then holes in the wall. Mm. Both Ken and Deb were both very unsettled and upset about this. And on the form that also says, Ken and Deb decide this is the second event. Ken and Deb decide to basically lie to this character that they've been speaking to named John that, they, that claimed to be the local sheriff of Lucas's location. Oh, right. When, so when the sheriff found, started found, Yeah, yeah. And so somehow John was able to see the light box or leams as they would normally refer to it. And it's kind of confusing and they don't really explain more in the book apparently, but... Anyways, Lucas had been arrested for being possessed or helping a demon, and they lied to the sheriff and told him that while they weren't demons, they had the power to damn his soul unless he makes sure that Lucas was released unharmed. Whoa. Yeah. Pretty awesome. I mean, do you think that's that's like, how he was sort of released, I guess? I, I mean, I would guess, yeah. Because, I mean, think about awesome. it. You know, like, on their end in the 1500s, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're getting this communique mm-hmm. back that says like we're not demons but we do have the power to damn your soul to hell yeah that's pretty awesome. like Lip, this guy hey man turns out he's not a witch good news everybody there's a little bit of information too and i wonder if this is where uh the gary Rowe guy was he associated with i guess there was a show in 1996 called oh i know this yeah it was a bbc special Yes. Where it, it aired on the BBC, and it was called... Oh, man, I had this down, and now you messed me up. I know. I just had it, too. Um, out of This World. Out of This World, yes. And a lot of people use this to say, oh, well, see, they were just trying to get money and, you know, fame and fortune. But the interesting thing is, number one, Ken put out this book with a really small publisher. I think there was only, like, 400 copies of that first edition, which would explain why, why it was, like you know, 500 to $2,000 at, at the time. Yeah. And then secondly, the show that, that they were on that they interviewed or they were, you know, gave an interview about this story, they were turned around in their chairs. So they didn't even want to show their faces. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, to me, that, that I don't it's, know. It's I, that thing that we always talk about, man. Like when people, true, well, aside from that book, right? Like when they're truly not trying to have like notoriety yeah, but even the book feels like he was just right. I mean, from some of the stuff that I read about it, even the way he sort of talks in the book feels just sort of like, okay, I'm giving this sort of series of events 
that happened. Mm -hmm. I got bored with it at the end because it wasn't really, there was nothing substantial. It was this vague, cryptic kind of thing, you know, that went on for like, I guess, almost three years. And then he moved from the place. I think he moved to Manchester and, you know, it just kind of ended there. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, it, it's like, it's like, uh, like Bob Lazar. They, they. It's like, why would these people willingly right. ruin their careers, their lives, their, right. their standing amongst their peers, their mm -hmm. neighbors? Nobody wants to be the weirdo, you know, I mean, necessarily. Yeah. And so like for them to And he's the economics teacher. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not like. And I mean, this is, you know early, mid-80s, you know, gosh, all you got to do is tell somebody to play Dungeons and Dragons, you're probably going to get fired. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? Right. Yeah. But, I, yeah, so I, I, I just think, I think that's interesting. It's like, it, you know, like I said, Bob Lazar, you, you know, you're not going to find these people on a book tour. You're not going to find these people on, on like, the, you know, the convention circuits or anything like that. They're just, you know, and even when they, when they finally get their quote unquote, like big break, okay, now, now fame and fortune can come. It's like they turn backwards in their chairs. They don't even want to be seen. Hmm. So to me that, that, uh, adds a little more credibility. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, if you guys listening kind of get, and we'll put this link in the show notes to this blog, that's fantastic because then you can read sort of the back and forth between mm -hmm. people that have read this and that are communicating with Gary Rowe as well. And they just, I mean, there's a lot of theories and people dive into a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Speaking of theories and stuff, like I kind of want to dive into what we think is going on here and sort of our take on it. But real quick, yeah. real quick. Okay, go ahead. Here's some reasons, like, because there's some things that like we haven't really talked about yet that kind of give some more, I don't know what you want to call it, like points or, or ammo toward it being hard or improbable or difficult for me to believe that mm -hmm. it's 100% hoax necessarily, or it's either a hoaxer that is, okay, I'll just give you this, okay? So one of the things that 2109 kind of makes mention of in one of their back and forths is that this mathematician from Matt, for Mott, it's this French mathematician from Mott has this, it's this famous like theorem. 2109 says that the last theorem would be solved. Now, Pierre de Fermat, he's this mathematician that proposed this theorem in 1637 that was studied by mathematicians ever since. And not until 1995, bro, was it solved. The first guy to solve it was a guy named Andrew Wiles. And he's the one that kind of, you know, again, provided the first solution ever, which earned him this, you know, math mathematics prize called the Abel Prize. But mm -hmm. what an obscure detail for a hoaxer mm. to just kind of come up with, right? There's yeah. several things that like, if I'm to believe that it's a hoax, that like, that here's the only way it makes sense to me. Someone extremely educated, someone that is versed in old English dialect, mm -hmm. very well versed in it. Yeah. And someone that knows of, because I mean, this person in the 80s, let's just assume for just a second that it is a hoax. This is happening in real time in the 80s. That person would uh, also have to know like just obscure mathematical theorems that aren't solved yet 
and you're just going to make a prediction that at some point is going to get solved. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Kind of right. weird that he picked an obscure one and then he got it right. And I didn't really, I don't know if you did, but I didn't really look too far into anything that they sort of predicted in 20, or the 2109 predicted that didn't come to pass kind of thing. I didn't find anything. Yeah. But again, I, from what I have read and seen, again, it, it feels very like cryptic and sort of vague. Right. You know? Another thing that you mentioned, kind of this Thomas Fowhurst of Cheshire, who was like this sheriff mm-hmm. character. Initially, I think when people kind of searched for this guy's records, there wasn't there weren't any official records of him. But I read that there was, however, a Thomas Fowhurst with a slightly different spelling but same pronunciation mm-hmm. that kind of lines up with this. He was Sir Thomas Fowhurst and was a sheriff of Cheshire in 1529, mm-hmm. which is right around this uh, right around this time. Yeah, and apparently, I guess, Webster would would find, with the help of a Robin Peedle, or Pedel, uh, who was a, the assistant librarian at Brasnose in the late 80s, you know, because like I said, they, they ended up finding that these, these names were real names. With a whole lot of digging, they found that uh, Hardin's name was in the university's records, which, you know, pretty much confirmed that Hardin or or uh, Howard and his story was true and that he was, you know, there. Man. So, like, even, even, and also, like, you know, for our younger listeners, like, it's easy to think, like, oh, I just did, like, a little research and hopped online. Like, mm-hmm. to do this amount of research, if, I mean, I mean, thank God that they were in, in the UK because, you know, they have much more, historical records since, you know, America were such a younger, you know, a much younger country. But over there, like, you know, their records go way back, you know, they much, much older. And so to, you know, to find this stuff, they're, they're going through like archives in the 1500s to find these names, you know, so it wasn't just Mm -hmm. like a, I mean, even like in the nineties, it wasn't just like a hop down to the library to jump on the computer or look through the microfiche. It's like, no, this is like, apparently it was like some pretty intense digging, you know, to find it, find these names. Yeah. Man. Which is pretty cool. So crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that, well, you go ahead. What do, what do you think? What's your, your sort of theory? I mean, it's so complex, man. Initial aspects of it, just in chronological order, sort of, the six-toed footprints and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, you know, initially I'm just like, you know, prank, you know, like yeah. one of the, one of the, especially in the eighties, you know, you got early eighties, he was a teacher of what? Economics. Yeah. An economics teacher, you know, he's going to be hanging out with other academics, right? And so he's got this population of people that would more than likely have sort of some of this access potentially. So my initial thought was, hoax but then like mm-hmm. it gets so deep and so intertwined i mean it does kind of remind me of that time that i tricked my youngest into thinking that the apple tv was like ca- talking back to her <laughs> oh, right. which is just heartbreaking and at this like it's like it becomes like a point where you're just like well there's no turning back now and so i wonder you know is it a hoax mm-hmm. I, I don't know there's there's strange i mean people have looked into everything from like the numerology behind 2109 and oh right i mean there's just so much to this that like for real 
anybody, you know, anybody that's interested, you can really kind of deep dive into this stuff mm-hmm. and see there's so many sort of characters that kind of pop up and those names, you know, everything from the Tom, the Thomas Howarden and, you know, like old school records in British history to, uh, you know, this theorem and, you know, reading more and more of these Gary Rowe responses. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it kind of comes back to like his answers being like, look, in the book, it, there's a lot to be sort of desired in terms of like definitive answers. There's a lot of stuff in between the lines sort of thing. I mean, these um, people could have been some of the stuff like you had brought up. Some of the things that they were saying could be sort of like a misdirect so that they don't mess up history somehow. And the things that they're talking about are specific to sort of changing it in a way that is better for everyone kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. For me, like, again, my initial feeling, Maybe it was a hoax. And then as I was diving into all this, it kind of sounds more like that sort of like multiverse kind of timeline situation or matrix style. Right. Or like I should say simulation style life. Yeah, Yeah. to where like some of those like areas are sort of getting crisscrossed and causing this communication to be possible I don't know, man. All in all, it's very bizarre. Yeah, it it, it is one of those like. So I, I think f- for me personally, the things that it has going for it for it to be authentic are. I mean, honestly, on the on its on its face, I think it's it just feel it, it's it has so many of these like details that are very nonlinear and they're very sort of abstract if you're if you're looking at it uh, you know f- for the time of 1984 mm-hmm. like just just a lot of the things that are said and done and like even you know just the the interaction on like the computer and stuff like all this stuff is you know because we don't you know at the time they didn't have computers this is the first computer you know and like I said, it's pretty much just like a word processor and they're just like putting messages in and then getting them back. I, to me, I think if if it is a hoax, I think it has to be, how can I say this? I think that if it was a hoax, number one, it would have to be Ken and someone else doing it because, mm. because – and that's not even, I'm not even counting like the poltergeist stuff. To me, like the whole yeah. poltergeist thing, whole this mother. is stuff that they're all witnessing in the same room. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's weird. I guess the uh, only thing there is, there wasn't like a fourth sort of uh, unbiased person mm-hmm. that also witnessed that. You know, so it's either, it could be like in your theory, it's Ken and someone else or maybe all three of them. So yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. But okay, so if we're, but we, if we are looking at it as like it's a it's a true phenomenon that's happening, there has to there would have to be some or maybe it wasn't somebody tied with Ken. Maybe it was somebody that was friends with Debbie or this Nicola uh, Bagalay lady, because you know they would go out and then they would come back from the pub and there would be a message waiting on them as they walked in the door. So like. I don't know. I, I find that that there's so many little elements that are 
so sort of like far-fetched, I would imagine, for the time that like, I don't know. It, it's it's a really interesting story because yeah. there's so many different elements. I mean, I do think that like, you know, and then and then that's the thing too. It's like, it's hard to convey this without like the photos, but like once you look at like the the old, you know, modern English, I mean, it is a very, very confusing you know thing and and also it it was very much like you know one of the things with like the UK and like you know Ireland and Scotland and and England is they were and it's you know it's much like this in America too but like you could go 20 minutes down the road and the dialect would be completely different and yeah. so that was one of the things that the his friend uh, the literary professor the peter trender when he he was interviewed like much later i think maybe in the 90s or so and you know he was i think the thing that he was most impressed by is that not only was it the old modern english but it was also accurate for like the dialect of where they would have been living in in doddleston mm. And I, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's just weird. It, like those, those small mm-hmm. details. It's like, if you're going to go through all the trouble of hoaxing and it's like, I originally thought, okay, well maybe the hoax, maybe it is like Ken or maybe Debbie or maybe Nicola. Maybe they're just trying to like pull, pull one over on their roommates or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because like you said that, you know, I've had roommates and it's just that level of high strangeness for 1984 that, points to either they're a genius or or not. I mean, even just the the idea of like, um, you know, having, okay, you're talking through a computer, which we're, you know, again, 1984, we know nothing of computers, but to make up this story that, okay, you're talking to somebody in 1546 or whatever. And then not only that, but then as we continue on, now you're talking to someone from 2109 it's just like these little elements that just feel like, I mean, I don't know, maybe the guy's, maybe he's an absolute genius and uh, and the whole thing is just like totally made up, you know? Yeah, like the 1984 version of Creepypasta or whatever. Right, right, right. But it is weird that like, again, you know, I, I keep going back to this like, you know, it's like the sort of the, the Bob Lazar effect where it's like these people that clearly don't want to be, you know, quote unquote, like famous for this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, I, I think, it, okay, so if we take it as like reality, uh, you know, I, I think it could be a lot of different things. I think it could be, maybe it is tied into like a poltergeist type thing. Maybe it is some mm-hmm. sort of elemental spirit. Like I said, you know, you're in super rural England. England, yeah way out in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the 80s. I mean, it's a, just the land itself is extremely like old and there's a lot of, a ton of history, you know, that mm-hmm. that's around that area. So like, I don't know, maybe maybe it's tied into like the Fae or maybe it's- Or like uh, Echoes, stone Maybe, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know. But then like the six toed, even that's like really abstract. Like why would- if they're hoaxing this like six-toed footprint, like, like why would you do yeah. that? Yeah. You know, and let, um, yeah. Hmm. So I don't know. Like, I, and I do think that like, uh, 
like the, and I don't know, maybe this is just because I think we're all sort of programmed to have this sort of Victorian era view of like fairies and stuff, but it's like, I don't know, there's something about like the, like the old English that, I don't know, w- would seem to like make sense if it was sort of like a fae or like a fairy type or elemental thing or, mm-hmm. I don't or, know. I mean, really... another another sort of idea is this. What if the first sort of, well, first off, I'm, I bet there's weird stuff like this mm-hmm. that exists out there that people were just like, Oh, right. Too dang nervous to talk about with like their friends and stuff. So in other words, maybe this isn't the only time that something like this has happened. Mm -hmm. And then if not, potentially if this is, let's just say time travel, what if the first sort of successful time travel, so to speak, experiment doesn't happen with a human being basically Mm -hmm. being whisked back in time or into another time. Maybe it's electronic signal. Mm-hmm. And so, in other words, maybe they're able or capable of opening this sort of, I don't want to say portal, but like, you know, they're able to open up communication into the past. And this mm-hmm. is like the first time that it was sort of successful. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and also it's it's not very, you know, if we are looking into like, okay, well, maybe it's it's like completely sort of, you know, time travel based. I don't know, maybe, maybe the 2109... Maybe they are responsible for the whole thing because you're, you know, Thomas Howarden or whatever, you know, he says, he makes a comment originally saying something about, I thought you were from 2109 and not 1985. Mm. And, or something along the lines of like, I thought you were in the time of like the same as 2109, the 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 I don't know if it's his people or something that but basically they delivered whatever this apparatus is and it never really goes into that either so like if you think of like twenty one oh nine like neural networks and stuff like that maybe it is just a box of lights but it's allowing it's allowing him to communicate almost like telepathically or I mean who mm-hmm. knows the technology yeah. that we'll have by then you know and, and I mean another reason why I want to get the book too is did it did, do they ever talk about how like you just said like does lucas ever say hey you know one day i was walking along and i saw this yeah. box of lights and so i decided to start messing around with it and you know what i mean yeah well i mean i think the only thing he says is it was like delivered mm. by 2109 and then is that just 2109 messing with, you know there's so much to this thing yeah that kind of well and just, then also if if okay so say Say the time travelers in 2109 del- went back to the 1500s, delivered this box that allows him to communicate. How would they know that one day Ken Webster is going to be, you know, randomly like loaned a computer to set up in his kitchen? Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's, there's just a lot of, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's- I mean, I think either it's all true or. Or it's, a or it's all fake. <laughs> or it's, yeah, it's just a, com- a complete hoax. I mean, we just, we're just bringing the barn burners today, man, with, with just intense statements like that. I mean, it's either all, all true <laughs> yeah. or all of it's fake. Yeah. You're yeah. not going to hear that kind of definitive answer on any other podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. 
I, I can't uh, I can't say I love as our listeners know, but if if this is your first time ever listening to our show, mm-hmm. you got to know time travel is one of my favorite things to talk about. Oh, yeah. and the different theories and ideas about it all, and you know I love the idea of it just being some sort of I mean. <sighs> Most of the time, whenever, and I, I'll credit this to Back to the Future being the, the reason for this sort of line of thought in my, in my mind, sometimes I feel like when something is so specific, like they knew that those people were going to be right there, right then, they, right. Got, they have to be related to them. You know, like mm. maybe you've heard a story from your parents. So in other words, think about these folks, like descendants over time, and they're like, oh, yeah, there's this ancestor of mine who was you know, renovating a house or maybe they did some research about this ancestor at that time and they're like, you know, records, public records of them, Mm -hmm. you know, purchasing this home and then like moving out or whatever. You could kind of pinpoint a general time period and then try to communicate with your relative. I mean, that's just my thought, you know. I wonder, again, and it's our our apologies for not reading this book yet, but like we said, you know, it was either... $500 $500 or 2000 until <laughs> yeah. very recently. Um, I mean, I, I did, just discovered that it was had gone into second yesterday. printing. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yesterday, literally. And and so we were like, so we're jumping in. We got to go. We got to yeah. do it. We got to get um, But like, I wonder if they go into um, ever discovering any kind of idea of why those three people would be significant other than what we're doing right now, which is just talking about them. Maybe right. this podcast or another one or a blog post triggers some imagination in someone that either reads it or listens to this mm. to begin to study. You know, it's it's all it's that thought that like it reminds me of I was talking to somebody else the other day about the five people you meet in heaven, that that book. Yeah. And just in the sense of like you never know what kind of influence you're going to have right. on somebody. And, and you never know, you know, I think selfishly, it's sort of like we talk about in D&D, like everybody that creates a character, especially like new players, they want to be like the star of the show kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they want to be like the main character of the movie. Right. And in our mind, we, yes, we're the main character of our life, but, you know, our sort of, involvement in the greater the bigger picture mm-hmm. it might just be one thing one little nice thing that we do for somebody who later in the future becomes you know some brilliant mind because they thought of you know there's little things that happen in all of our lives that can trigger inspiration mm-hmm. or you know you had a teacher that inspired you to read this book which led you to you know you never know the tentacles yeah. and, and how far reaching all that stuff is. And so maybe those three people, maybe their sole purpose was to have this communication, which would then inspire someone else to, mm. you know, yeah. do a podcast. Yeah. Or, I mean, even if you, you want to get even more sort of meta about it is, you know, we, sometimes we talk on the show about like retro causality or the idea that, that time isn't necessarily like linear, linear, like, okay, front and then the, the the back or the end or whatever. It's the idea that like you can do things, you can still do certain things in the present that would influence the past. And so yeah. so kind of like what you're saying is like, okay, well, maybe these, these three people are 
I mean, hell, even with like a simulation theory, maybe these three people are literal like NPC characters. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be like saying non-player character characters, but they're NPCs that are there to fulfill, you know, something, and they're communicating with this thing in the future that talks about tachyons, and maybe that, you know, through retro causality, influences somebody else to study this concept of like tachyons and like, oh, maybe that has something to do with time and. And then that leads to something in the future. Like, it could mm-hmm. go so many different ways. All, but I, I, I do want to say this. I think the one thing that sort of completely takes me out of all that is all of the the, the bizarre sort of poltergeist stuff that was happening before. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I don't know. It to me, it feels you know. Uh, for example, I mentioned at the top of the show. This is this is sort of a, a callback. I mentioned the the Manigishi or this yeah. this race of trickster beings, mm-hmm. probably a lot like the Fae of like the Cree tribe. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe we take it to a completely other place. You know, they were known to have uh, six fingers and six toes. Uh, what if these are the same thing things as fairy and these fairies are just causing, you know, they're trickster entities and they're they're just doing all this. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. It, I mean, you know, anytime another, we think about communication between the, we'll just say planes of existence, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, and again, we'll bring it back to D&D just to kind of make it more, it you know, hey, this is fiction and whatever. Sure, mm-hmm. if that's the way you want to look at it. If we're talking about it in terms of, you know, D&D, if you're thinking, well... I'm going to get, I got a message from the Fae, right? Mm-hmm. Immediately, like we think, oh, well, it's just, you know, a little note that they wrote down. Well, what happens when the instruments and the things that we use to communicate back and forth change mm-hmm. over time, which now, dude, you know, I'm not even yelling down the house anymore. I'm texting my wife, you know right. what I mean? Like, hey, don't forget this. Or, you know, our method of communication has evolved. And so I think it's easy for us to think, that for some reason this, the Fae or other beings or any other planes of existence would just be stuck in like pen and paper or Mm -hmm. quill and paper or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's kind of unfair, man. I think it's easier to assume that their communication is maybe even more advanced than ours. Right. And so it's like maybe they um, were just kind of testing the waters a little bit, so to speak, Mm -hmm. in in communicating and maybe that the, the, the six-toed thing and all that is just like, hey, man, I wonder if, hey, did it work? Let's let's just see. And they're walking around and they're like, yep, it worked. Mm-hmm. Get on that computer, you know? Um, well, well, that's what's interesting, though, is that the, the six-toed thing and all the weird poltergeist happened before he brought the computer into the house. Hmm. So maybe that's what they were originally using, your, you know, your old-school, like, poltergeist motifs of, like, yeah. all this weird sort of a trickster behavior, like, you know, stacking your cans up and, you know, cold spots and like that whole kind of thing. Like maybe once the computer was brought in, it was like, oh, wait, here's another sort of trick we can pull by using, utilizing this sort of new technology. I can tell my you only, one. Oh, go ahead, sorry. Well, I was just going to say my only thing against, the, it's weird. It's like, it's such a, well, I kind of believe this, but that doesn't make sense because of this. It's like I'm constantly going back and forth and it's like, you know, Okay, if I am viewing, okay, like the the old English makes sense with me. If it is like some sort of spirit or some sort of fey entity or elemental or, or 
you know, what have you. The old English makes sense with that. But it's hard for me then to look at it and say, okay, well, it's it, it's the Fae and, and, or this super old elder god, Lovecraft type entity. But now they're talking about like tachyons. Like mm. to me, that's where there's, there's sort of a, a breaking off point of like, I don't know. It's like the themes kind of start like taking away from themselves once other things are sort of like introduced in this yeah. to me. You know? Yeah, it's kind of like if you think that it's just some literature scholar, mm-hmm. well, that kind of gets blown out of the water whenever there's like the mathematics thing that's brought into it. And then the, the methods and things that would be theoretical but not even public theory about right. time travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I, this thing, like, I just feel dizzy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that's the reason that it's, it's taken so long to do because man, I knew from day one that like, man, this is going to be a little bit of an undertaking, but I hope that, uh, I hope that we conveyed this in a way that's like easily understandable and somewhat graspable, I guess. Mm-hmm. I dig it though. I love this yeah, story. Yeah, dude, I love it. It's fascinating and, and weird and like a lot of others, no answer. Yeah, no answer. Big, big surprise. I will tell you one thing. Hmm. This starts happening on my computer. <laughs> That's it, man. We're moving. Yeah. I'm out of there. Yeah. Never coming back. Hey, yeah. kids. I'm waking them up in the middle of the night. Hey, guys. <laughs> we're, we're moving. Dad, where are we? What, what, what do you mean? Get in the car. That's Who it. cares? We're just moving. I'm out of here. Somewhere. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. You know, we really thought that like this would be the perfect kind of sister show to our lobe story, you know, with the sort of ghost in the machine, you know, AI type thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think it lends itself to that. It lends itself to time travel or, you know, spiritual kind of stuff and ghost and all that. Like there's just there's so many sort of boxes that this story checks, and uh, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. If you'd like to find us, we are mainly over on Instagram as far as social media goes. We'd love for you guys to hop into the comments, tell us how you liked the, the most recent episode. There's a great little community over there, like I always say. If you want to send us a message, feel free to shoot us a DM. If it's a longer form type thing, shoot it over to thatwouldberadpod at gmail.com. But above all those things, uh, mm-hmm. you can find us over at thatwouldberadpodcast.com, our website, uh, where you can do all those things. And you could also leave a voice message directly mm-hmm. on the site. If you have a ghost story, if you have an urban legend, if you have a, a, a local urban legend or weird story or, or whatever, maybe it's really short. I would really love to hear from you mm-hmm. international listeners that's the stuff that's like even more intriguing uh to us feel free to buy us a coffee or go buy some merch and if you can't do those things that's cool go and tell a single friend about the show or go give us a five-star review on any of the uh the podcasters that you guys use and we're really psyched about our new patreon it is called the rabbit trail mm-hmm. and if the, if you're if you're not getting your fix with this free main feed and you're just like, man, I need more. I need more episodes. I need more stuff from the boys. Head on over to our Patreon. It's got it's it the all. Best place, yeah, yeah, it is the best place. Bonus episodes, artwork, show mm-hmm. notes, some our music. I mm-hmm. mean, yep. anything and everything. And just like I said on this episode, extras that are almost like supplements for 
the free episodes. So, right. you know, a full PDF of all of the uh, transmissions and communications between 2109 and, you know, those three in the, uh, in the oh, house. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, you got anything else, Woody? I think that's it, man. Cool, dude. We love you. We appreciate you. And as always, be rad. That's the way it Granted. I, swear, I swear, Jack, I'll never let go. Instantly pissed. 
Yeah. I'm just, uh, come on. It, it actually does my heart good to know that maybe maybe he just like sank under the water and then he went back into his time. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Not, not died in this timeline mm-hmm. and hopefully his, you know, that sucks. Yeah. Teeter, well, it, you're John right. It, is, it does make it easier to swallow knowing that like, I mean, even if he did die, even if he drowned or froze to death or whatever, um, you know, it's like he died in this timeline, but he's still somewhere else, you know? Mm. Yeah, I like, I I prefer the idea of he didn't die. He just like, yeah, just transported back using his special ability. (laughs) 